You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 70 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here, as always, with my good friends and co-hosts, Lee Fields and Jay Desai, Dadu Worldwide himself, coming to us live <sighs> from the Delta Sky Club <laughs> in the Atlanta Hartsfield I'm International not, I'm Airport. I'm not at Atlanta, Jeff. Get on my schedule. Where are you? I'm at, oh, sorry. I'm at Washington Reagan. Oh, oh. Well, there you go. Heading back to the ATL. Heading back to the dirty. Were you at church this right. morning in D.C.? I was. for. Um, I, I think both of you know Josiah Canzanella. Yeah. Yes. J- JC Audio. His wife had a baby, and he's been the one holding down. He's honestly been like unreal up here in D.C. I don't know how he has the capacity to do all the things that he does, but he's been holding down Passion City Church, D.C., and uh, he wanted a few weeks off because his wife had a baby, which is weak. What a loser! What that's about. <laughs> There's no severance. There's no. I'm not severance. There is no paternity uh, leave. Yeah, leave on uh, when you have babies in the freelance. No, honestly, it. He's got it so dialed in and got an incredible crew of door holders and contractors up here. It's easy. I'm really just there for comedic value and handholding. So shout out to Josiah. Passion calls all their volunteers door holders. No matter if you're behind a lighting console, or actually holding a door, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. right. What is the uh, theory? Not the theory, but what's the uh, why behind that? It's based on a Bible verse, yeah. actually. Like everything around um, every good ministry, there's a Bible verse behind it. Yeah. And so it's from the Old Testament, and it's... Um, it's Psalm something. That would be Psalm 8410. I think I said that already, but that's fun. You said Psalms, but not 8410. So I got the, Let me check my tattoo. Yeah. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a door holder in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So all their volunteers are called door holders because they're ushering people into the presence of God. So Jay helps manage a lot of the door holders around that place and does a great job. There's several that I'm not allowed to talk to. So if a volunteer comes to you and says, hey, uh, my family and I have decided to uh, leave Passion City, we feel called to North Point, do you immediately look at them and say, let us know how the tent of the wicked is? <laughs> no, no, I just, I, I, I gaff them to their seat. Okay. Got it. <laughs> well. I believe in the big C. We're all, we're all part of the big C. Even Bayside's are. part of the big C. They are. And what even Bayside. What miniature church Jeff's going to up in Greenville that has a, one microphone recordings. Hey, if you missed last episode, you gotta go check it out. That's all I'm saying. Speaking of tents of wicked people, Jay, you look like you're setting in a VIP booth at a Vegas club with that uh stitched leather behind you. Okay, I told y'all I told y'all I was at Washington Reagan, but yeah, I'm really in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Sky Club. Uh, make yourself a home. Yeah, the bar's right down to your left. Free Wi-Fi passwords happy this month. <laughs> what was that? Someone just looked at me like I knew what was going on, so I just <laughs> thought I'd welcome them into the Sky Club. Well, you've got a uh, microphone on. It looks like an earpiece. Like you've got, you know, you get the staff radio. <laughs> yeah, that lady's going to go home and be like, they got bouncers at the Sky Club. Uh, I got a funny DM from a guy about, Podcast episode 45. That's been a while. I don't remember that long. I don't ago. remember either. And he referenced something that I don't even remember saying. But okay. 
I just need to read this to you. I'm not even going to give you a, a heads up or context for it as my Facebook messenger is loading very slowly. Come on. Okay. There we go. James Taylor. Like the James Taylor? Well, it I, I thought for a second, wow, it's James Taylor DMing me, but no, different, <laughs> different James Taylor. Here he goes. Uh, I was driving home last night, catching up on old MXU podcasts, and you were talking about Little Caesar's Pizza in episode 45. Do you remember this, Jeff? I don't. I don't either. I just felt it necessary to tell you that as a youth pastor, I care deeply about the cost of pizza. I have done the math and have determined that per slice, per ounce, and per square inch, Costco pizza is actually cheaper than Little Caesar's by about one to two cents per slice. Now, taste is a subjective metric that is much harder to measure. I personally don't like the taste of Costco pizza, but again, I'm a youth pastor. I don't get the luxury of being bothered by such things. Cost is the only metric that matters when it comes to pizza and the youth group. Okay, I have an idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. we, need to, we need to send this guy $5 so that his <laughs> next 500 slices of Little Caesars pizza won't be more expensive than his 500 slices of Costco pizza so he can eat pizza with some amount of flavor because Costco pizza sucks. I like Costco pizza. There's not a Costco near me, so I don't know what it tastes like. Now, I'm not saying Little Caesars is the best or even worth having either, but for crying out loud, your whole youth ministry is going to crumble over one and a half cents per slice of pizza. Yeah, hey. but I think there's a box you check when you get to heaven on what kind of pizza your youth group had. Those wow. elder meetings at the churches, that's what they're looking at. How's our youth pastor doing with the spending? Anyway, he <laughs> he goes he goes on to say lots of very complimentary things about us and the podcast and such. And then he closed with, by the way, if you would like to see the math and spreadsheet form, I can share the Google Doc with you. Lee, this is your kind of guy. It is. We definitely need to see the spreadsheet. Spencer needs that spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah I want to know like what's the cost differential between not only Costco and Little Caesars, but how do those compare to Pizza Hut, Domino's, Papa John's? I mean, I'm sure it's. I'm sure we've got a uh, across the board tabulation somewhere. Well, let's just uh, ask the question real quick. What is the superior to go pizza or delivery? Because I know my answer, and it's Pizza Hut. <sighs> Yeah. Okay, so bus food on tour. Okay. No, I don't even care about bus food. I'm talking about Friday night at the house. Okay, well, I'm just saying that for those at home who have never been on a tour, sometimes pizza is really your only option. Many times, pizza is your only option on a tour for bus food after the show because pizza is the only thing that's open that late and can deliver something when it's still hot. And so it's either Buffalo Wild Wings or pizza Many, many, many nights on tour. Or Cheesecake so, Factory appetizers. Mm. Yeah, but even then, if it's going to be after midnight That's for true. delivery, it's kind of tough. So the point is, those of us who've been on tour have a pretty discerning opinion, or a, at least a an opinion, about which pizza we should have for bus food. So yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go thin crust, no matter where it's from, just my personal preference, and either Pizza Hut or Domino's has my favorite thin crust, but Pizza Hut's Pizza Hut is super reliable. Thin I'm going crust? pan. I'm going deep dish. Pizza Hut all the way. Can't do deep dish that late at night though. That's the problem. Well, is well, I'll get in can't? the bunk. I can't. 
I'll go. His butt turns into a trumpet. That's what happens. He was <laughs> no. a trumpet major. <laughs> it's true. But I'll get in the bunk and feel like I ate a bowling ball's worth of dough, and I don't want that in my belly at 3 a.m. That's You just need to eat more gluten. You need to become more gluten tolerant, and your body can just, it just takes it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, I'm going Domino's Pan. The D, okay. There's, if you okay. just order straight up Domino's, I don't think it's that great. That's what my wife and kids yeah. like, though. But the pan at Domino's. Yeah, I like their sauce. Their sauce is good. And when I was in college, so Domino's is based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so back in the day, way back when I was in college, Domino's was really the, the go-to to go pizza in the area. And it was great. $5. You could get a $5 delivered medium pizza, and it was like couple times a week easy scrape together five bucks dude well for all our british fans pizza hut legendary in the uk is it and yeah when i was living in london as a kid like going was a treat but then i I moved to wales for several years and literally had to drive into town and it was such a treat like i remember the salad bar oh yeah pizza had a salad bar oh man Pizza at Salad Bar was legit. Oh, man. I remember it was such... My dad would have to, like, literally, he saved up, so we'd go eat there. And we'd go eat there. And I remember me and my sister would just be so excited in the car. And I'd max out in 10 minutes. I'd just eat everything I could. Also, like, <laughs> I could now pretty much eat a meal without drinking water or anything. Because as a kid, I would I would always, like, drink my drink too fast before my food came. And so my parents would always move my drink away, and now I, no refills, no refills. Yo, there was no, there's no refills in the UK, so I would always drink my drink. And my dad would just move it, and now I can just eat without lubing up the food. <laughs> and what does this have to do with production? You might ask. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not here for production value. No, but there is something we need to talk about because we so, we told everybody last week on the podcast yeah. that we would discuss this. Um, during this episode. So you had made a comment about something you'd been ruminating on. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about it too. And especially in light of your comment and your basically the gist of it was that your prediction is that in the not too distant future, um, church teams will be more concerned about hiring mixers who come from a studio slash artistic background rather than from a technical background yeah. or a typical production company or you know that kind of sort of training mindset and so we've had a week to think about it and so let's let's talk about it for a yeah. minute i would say from my perspective i think that's definitely true and in fact it's my story i mean i came to this from being a musician first and part of what served me so well in working with bands over the years was being able to speak their language. And I think a lot of times we would have guys on the crew who didn't know how to do that, who would just speak in terms of DBs and kilohertz. And the band was kind of sort of left not knowing how to communicate. Whereas I could speak in terms of arrangements and tonality and harmonic structure and some of those more sort of esoteric musical things that a strict technician might not have the, the vocabulary for. And I think, you know, if we have people that have some of both, they're going to be really well served in moving forward, being a, being a mixer. I don't disagree. I, um, 
Jay, what do you think? What makes you, where's your conclusion or prophecy coming from? Well, a lot of it's coming from the same direction as churches moving towards uh, mixing in DAWs. Because, you know, when, when we went through this a few months ago, I feel like it's safe to assume the reason it's being favored so much isn't as much about the quality of the mix. It's about the skill level of the engineer and how comfortable they are using the platform because that's what they started on or that's all they've done. You know, we're not, there's not a big argument for you have to mix in Pro Tools if you want it to sound amazing. When you're talking about, you know, someone who's a freaking killer mixer on a SD5 and who's a killer mixer on Pro Tools, it's, they're both going to be really good. Now, I do think yeah. like Robert brought up and challenged me on, which I, I didn't disagree with it, but until he said this, I, I didn't think about it. But he's like, you bet your ass it's going to sound better than an X32. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's a good point. That, Fair point. You know, that, that is true. Fair point. Um, so I think it's coming from the same vein in that, we have a lot of musician turn engineers now, period. Okay. Not talking about live sound. Now I'm just talking about before, if you were playing guitar and you could play drums and you wrote a little music, you may not have A, the equipment to record and mix yourself and produce your own songs. Right. And B, the skill. Well, that has changed. So now right, we're the, seeing- the home studio, the, even the level of home studio from the, we're talking about the inbox 10 plus years ago. Right. And now guys, have the Apogee stuff and right. some of the others, you know. UAD. E- yeah. Yeah, UAD stuff. And so there's basically micro engineers or whatever you want to call them everywhere. Yeah. That have the ability to do, uh, to understand what a plug-in is, right? Because a lot of these cats didn't have all the outboard gear and the analog stuff that we grew up with. Yeah. And now right. we all kind of have access to the same tools, the same plugins we buy, they can buy. So, but I think musical mixers have always kind of won for me. Yes. In general. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line point. Because they feel something that a lot of the technical guys, I'm not hating. There's some phenomenal technical engineers. I'm not trying to like, I just think that uh, from a listening point of view, I've always enjoyed a musical engineer a little more because he f- feels and anticipates a band's movements a little better having been close to it. And two, I think the way they're able to relate to um, uh, the band is a little bit. Perfect example is, uh, what's his name that's mixing Mercy Me these days? Rick May. Rick May. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I haven't I hadn't heard Mercy Me in a while, and they've always had great engineers. And then I heard Rick's mix, and I was like, oh, my. Holy sh**. Like, he is a band member. Yeah. Like, right. I think there's just an edge that they have that I think that is attractive probably to worship leaders, regardless of the technical expertise on DAWs and all that stuff. So Yeah. I'm not trying to repeat anything y'all just said. I'm definitely agreeing, but I'm just going to say there are technical mixers that don't play an instrument that are very good, but I still feel like they're musicians. No question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I 100% get that. But... Yeah, the con- the console is their instrument. Yes. What's giving people an edge? We're generalizing. It is. And what has giving people an edge is understanding yep. music on a on a, a deeper level than uh, a, no- a a non musician can't. And it's edges technically. It's edges 
in the mix. And the big one too is an edge with trust in the band. Like the band trusts. I know that that guy is going to nail everything because he understands what the how to hear melody. He understands arrangements and feel. Like that's a I've big. I've never heard a drummer not brag on Christian Pascal's mix, particularly pertaining to the drums. Yeah. Of course. I yeah. mean, people lose their mind. His drums sound unbelievable. Yeah. His whole mix is unbelievable. His drums are always, you know, just first, firsthand. The other thing, though, Lee, is we sound like the old farts club now, but, like, I couldn't wait to get my hands on uh, a PM4K, H3000, some of the bigger desks, and the multiple double-wides of outboard gear. Yeah. And so, for me, from 16 to that trajectory when it probably really happened for me in the 20s where I got to use the nice pre's and the nice comps and not skip. I'm not talking about the uh, Ray Bold now, you know, we're talking about the ACP 88. Yeah. I'm not talking about the crappy $3,000 Yamaha and the ACP 88 right. and you're split an M1 uh, reverb on the left and delay on the right, yeah. like the good stuff. It took years for me to get there. Yep. But thanks to Waves, one of our brilliant friends, they have a sale every day. And so... All of us can have the same stuff for twenty nine ninety nine, right? And so it's it's just the playing field feels different too, from musician to tech as well. So if a few years ago, you know, let's say five years ago, you looked at the pool of upcoming engineers, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say it was fifty percent musical, fifty percent technical. I think that number's shifting more musical. I think it's like more seventy five percent now, twenty five percent technical. So Yeah, and I think a lot of that is because the musicians have had to learn the technicals yes. to be able to make records in their bedroom. Right. I mean, you look at Billie Eilish and her brother make the biggest selling record in the world in the bedroom. Yeah. It's like the, the gear is good enough and the plugins are ample enough and all that stuff. It's like, you know, I, I would trust his proficiency behind a front of house desk probably as much or more than I would somebody who just came out of the shop at a production company just because there's a musical sensibility that's already there because you know he's proven himself in the ability to record and mix based on the gear that was at his disposal. Yep. I'm not hating on technical training at schools, right? I think no, it not at gives all. you advantage. But you remember when like early on years for me, like when guys were coming out of some of these engineering programs at full sale, some of those they then would be frustrated because they would have to start an internship level in the sh in a company they went to or they weren't able to get placement right with a band or something. And so I think there's always been the technical stuff can be taught and learned and, and that stuff, but the musical stuff has to kind of somewhat be natural or raised up from a very early age. It's funny that you bring that up because, and this, again, this is not to harsh on full sale at all, but I remember uh, a story that a, uh, front of house tech system tech that I had for years with Tomlin told me he went to full sale and cause we, the conversation came up about, you know, the ability, capability, quality of full sale graduates. And he said that when he was in his first live sound class, it was a, it was a rigging class of all things. And the professor came in the first day and said, you know, there's 20 kids in the room. The professor comes in and says, just so you guys know, there are probably two of you in this classroom who will actually end up making a living in this business. 
Thanks for your $75,000. Exactly. Because of that whole class, there were exactly two who are currently working in live production. And it was because, not just because they, the other 18 people couldn't learn the technical stuff, but that they wouldn't have what it takes to actually cross that line of how to make a difference with a band, connect with a production manager, connect with what's actually required in terms of hard work and skill and musical ability and all those things. It's it's such a complicated equation. I mean, but the, the techies make the techies make the best system techs for me too though. Like yes. I suck at being a system tech, right? Because I just don't care about some of the stuff. I never learned it and it's not natural for me. I had to I had to load a piece of software on my computer and someone literally had to log in and do it because I was like just stupid. I couldn't do it. So, but I I can tell you why the PA doesn't sound right. I can tell you the PA doesn't sound right. I cannot tell you like all the nerdy stuff that we talk about sometimes from the yeah. time alignment and or this. And I love I love that because I feel like I my mix is not always the same. It's it changes just like a guy's playing. But the hard part is is a lot of people have over the last few years wanted consistency and the same mix week in and week out. You yeah. know. And that's just not me. That's not my game. I mix the room. I mix the players. Mix the thing. I belong in a club. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so and not in a church. Uh, but I think the system tech is where wins are from. There's probably great combos out there, you know. Yeah. Uh, of system tech and a way more musical engineer, and it takes both. I think Robert Scoville is the like the epitome of both. You know, he he teaches a course called the Complete Engineer, and it's both sides. You know, he. I don't know anyone as good as a mixer as he is and as good in engineering and the all the technical pieces. He, it's just crazy. Uh, and he looks good doing and it. He looks great doing it. And he, he could run he can run further than all three of us combined. Oh, oh 100%. Yeah. I ran to my car in the rain the other day and I had to like go home and look for my asthma inhaler. <laughs> he swam with sharks from Alcatraz to San Francisco multiple times. Okay. Right. That's the nightmare for me. Yeah. Anyway, so to, to wrap that uh, conversation up, we're actually this week shooting new content for MXU Now on something I think people would maybe be a little surprised on. Um, Aaron Broman, who is a up, uh, he's young, but he's a freaking rock star studio engineer he just did a track with demi lovato on her latest record which is incredible and he mixes broadcast for a lot of churches that you've heard of and has been out on the road in live settings with lots of people you've heard of lauren daigle jesus culture bethel but we're shooting content on how to use and mix with a daw live yes yep so we're going to shoot content on all the equipment that you need if you want to do it, how to best uh, set it up so that you've got redundancies in place. And then he's going to go through a long series of videos on actually mixing in Pro Tools. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, like if you just told me we were going to do this a few months ago, I might have told you you're crazy. But after all of us having some pretty honest conversation about it, I do feel like it's viable for some people as long as I'll still, I'll still say um, that you know what you're getting yourself into and you do things the right responsible way. So 
what Jeff and I decided was we know churches are going to do this, so let's at least help them be as equipped as they can as they go through that journey. Sure, we don't need to judge their approach. No. <laughs> Just make them as good as we can. Yeah. Yep, I'm excited about that. Speaking of videos, are you? Uh, did you say, did someone tell me we're doing pro presenter videos? Yeah. Uh, we're not, but Rusty is. Okay, good, because literally... I got stuck on pro pre- the new pro presenter today, <laughs> and after I made fun of it a few weeks ago, I'm sorry. I know Rusty wanted to challenge me to a cage fight, but which Rusty would win. Um, but uh, I got stuck on something so simple today, and I wanted to text him, but I couldn't. I couldn't let my pride there, so I text <laughs> I text someone else. So Rusty, I'm sorry, but I needed your help today on pro presenter, and it was like the stupidest thing. I didn't have like an external display turned on, basically in pro presenter so yeah i look forward to those videos too yeah we're all really excited about that because rusty anderson for those of you who don't know who haven't been following along um, rusty provided some great content and some great insight for us on the videos on video that we shot at elevation and so now he's going to um just continue the trend and shoot some pro presenter specific training videos so I, I love the fact that the MXU Now library is continuing to expand into lighting and video offerings, and we we don't know anybody better than Rusty to help us teach that material. So that's coming coming soon as well. Hey, before uh, we get too much further, I need to give a warning to people on the tour um, about my potty mouth. Yeah, your potty mouth. Yeah. The early bird sale ended, so we saw a big influx of ticket purchasing over the last two weeks. But there are some cities that are about to sell out, and we're going to be out of tickets. So I kind of want to throw some of those out. Um, Charlotte, as of right now, there's 24 tickets left. Nashville, 39. Denver, 33. Dallas, 18. So um, go get them, folks. Atlanta and Tulsa have about 50 left, so that's not many either. So... I, I warned everybody. I thought. In- I think the great thing about us capping the crowd sizes is that we can build conversations throughout the day with people, and people don't feel like they're in this massive thing. That it's a very yeah. intimate setting. I think that'd be great. Yeah, and every city will sell out. So, guys, if you're waiting, it's like an NPR fundraiser. It's like no. <laughs> if if you're waiting till the last day so you can say I helped push them through to the end. It's like eh, don't wait. Because you're going to regret it come mid-August when all these tickets are gone. So go ahead and buy them now. A lot of you have a lot of you have your fiscal year starting at the end of this month. So if your fiscal year for your budget starts July 1st, make that a reserved expenditure because you're going to not want to miss it. Lee, can I ask you a question? Yeah. I saw that you got your crew brew coffee. Yeah. What do you think? It's okay if you don't like it. I, I think it's awesome. You won't hit us. No, I think it's really good. I bought a full uh, pour-over rig for MXU HQ here. I'm, I'm staring at it right now. And a um, couple guys in our office know how to do that. So they taught me how to do it because it's not a cure egg. It takes a little more, you know. Oh, my gosh. But I got I got the beans in the mail the day before I flew, I flew out. So I'm going to try them uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah. But I'm excited. So What good. I'm most excited about is... A little secret project we're working on with Crew Brew. Yeah, I heard yellow beans. Maybe. We shall see. Is that food coloring? Because I don't want that in my coffee. 
Isn't the coffee bean? No, green? it's turmeric. It's it's turmeric. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah, it's it's, he- it's healthy for you. Honestly, though, I can't. I'm gonna hopefully I can fit into the t-shirt he sent me. That's what I'm. I need another black t-shirt. It, uh, I wore mine yesterday, <laughs> and uh, I'll say this: the sleeves were tight, shows off the guns, but it uh, it hides the midsection well. So I like that shirt. Okay, crewbrew.com. Go and get you. Is it crewbrew.com? I hope it's crewbrew.com. Uh, hopefully, go ahead and support a fellow fellow production guy who is honestly doesn't do anything half-ass. He's like been in there just roasting beans himself the whole time. He has. It is crewbrew.com. I just checked. All right. Um, what else do we need to cover? We talked about the tour. We talked about videos. We talked about studio engineers running off church engineers. I mean, all that. I think we need to get to our interview. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Uh, first thing is this interview is going to help a lot more than just the technical staff. So share this with your worship leaders, your lyrics operators, your video team, your executive pastors, maybe even someone in finance has asked you before, hey, are we breaking the law by not showing copyright information or are we allowed to stream this? So Jeff, why don't you introduce who who we're talking to and how we came about this conversation? Well, I'll just say that... uh if anyone is going to go to jail or thinks they're going to go to jail for like whatever the infringement would here would be, call me first. Let's see if we can get Bob Goff on retainer because he'll get it expunged <laughs> off your record, hopefully. Um, I love you have it. First-hand experience. And, th- and then I've got some experience from the hard time that I did. Good, good. Well, we were thrilled to have this conversation with Nate Scott from CCLI. He is the Director of Publisher and Songwriter Relations. And he has forgotten more about church copyrights and licensing than any of us will ever know. So uh, we hope you love hearing from him. And as we dig into this conversation, try not to let the guilt feelings overwhelm you because we we have people here to help. Jay is going to lead the charge on that. Yeah, that's what I do. Well, we are really excited today to be joined by Nate Scott from CCLI. Nate is the Director of Publisher and Artist Relations and has a lot to talk to us about regarding licensing and what your CCLI license covers for your church and maybe doesn't cover and some of the questions that we've had from people um, as we've started to talk about this conversation. So, Nate, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? I'd love to hear how you got involved in... um, the music business, music licensing, and artist relations, publisher stuff in the first place. Yeah, I, I think it all it all started with uh, just playing music in the church. I've been playing drums in the church for twenty something years, and uh, had made friends with uh, a worship leader at our church and a separate person who was an electric guitarist, both of whom worked at CCLI. And that was very early on uh, before one of them worked there. But uh, long story short, uh, down the road, an opportunity came up at CCLI. It wasn't on my radar. And uh, the gentleman that I played electric guitar, who played electric guitar at church, George Ross, uh, he called me up and, and said, hey, Nate, we've got this opportunity. And would you be interested in talking? But it was based on uh, our love of serving the church. And CCLI's yeah. mission of empowering worship 
by providing affordable and legal content, resources, and media. So just that that desire to serve the church was really the common uh, bond or tie that that caused the connection to come in place. And uh, so I've been with CCLI for just about seven years now, working on our publishing team. Um, and over time, I've gone from managing the uh, just the team that uh, deals with ownership changes with catalogs and new song registrations and conducting payouts to where I am today, where I'm over that department, but also working closely with songwriters and artists just to ensure that we're serving them as best as, as we can. That's really cool. That's awesome. And why don't you tell us, you, you kind of hinted at this, but for a lot of people, publishing and licensing is a different language. So let's get really uh, rudimental here. Tell us what CCLI does. So in a, in a nutshell, CCLI has relationships with publishers and, of course, with churches. But publishers, uh, they grant the rights to their songs and their recordings to CCLI. And then we package those rights into blanket licenses that we make available to churches. So that they're able to focus on, you know, conducting their their worship services and not have to think about securing the rights to use uh, each song that they use on a Sunday. Which today, a song could have seven or eight ownership splits and a, a bunch of different catalog owners. So uh, back when we started, uh, when the company started, I think it was 32 years ago, you had single songwriters who are the authors of songs. Today, everybody's mm-hmm. co-writing with everyone. So more than any time before, the blanket license to the church is helpful to ensure that they're able to secure the rights to copy works and, and use them in their services and to stream them. And we make that process easy by dealing with the relationship with all of the publishers and you know the, the independent songwriters as well. That's cool. So for people who maybe didn't grow up in a church with traditional published materials, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about hymnals specifically, it used to be that, you know, you'd go to church and if you wanted to sing music, you could open up a book that was paid for by the church and those publishing rights were covered by the purchase of a hymnal. So we all turned to page 322 and sing Joy Unspeakable as a congregation and anybody could read those notes and words mm-hmm. to be able to sing that song and the purchase of the book, the hymnal paid for the publishing and the, mm-hmm. the authorship of those materials. Now with words on a screen and you know, whether it's, whether it's transparencies on a overhead projector from the old days or whether it's, you know, pro presenter and other things and music that's not in a, in a paper published mm-hmm. form, that necessitated a way for those authors to be protected in the same way they would be from a printed book. So that's really kind of the origin is the protection of the artists and publishers to make sure they got credit for their work. Is that right? That's right. Originally, our uh, our offering was the church copyright license. The focus was making reproductions of works. Yeah. That could be out of that hymnal or you know one of the old integrity praise books that was spiral bound. And if a, if somebody wanted to make a photocopy of one of those songs and share it with their worship team, well, then that's a reproduction that is not covered when you purchase that songbook. 
And then further, if you're taking lyrics and you're back then, you would probably enter them in um, via typewriter or your computer into a form that you could print onto a transparency. That is also Mm -hmm. a, a replication. The right to display those lyrics is covered by the religious service exemption in the copyright law here in the United States. But in order to get those lyrics to the point where you can project them, you have to make some sort of a reproduction unless you purchased that slide, that transparency in the old days or PowerPoint slide today with the lyrics already fixed to it. There's no reproduction needed. So long story short, we started based on just basic reproduction of either song sheets or lyrics. Got it. And I think we're all covered. And the reason everything that you guys just explained is needed is because, I'm not sure how long ago, but the federal government decided that there are certain protections creators need to protect their works from being copied. And that included songwriters, authors, things like that. Yeah, it, there are five rights. You've got the right to reproductions. You've got the right to perform that work. You have the right to create derivative works. If it's a recording, that could be sampling. But if it's just a composition, that might be translating or creating derivations, uh, arrangements, that sort of thing. Let's see. Number four would be distribution. If you wanted to sell or or give away that work and the fifth right is display which of course would be applicable with statues and you know drawings paintings photography in this case uh it could be the lyrics or even displaying a a song sheet that right is exclusive to the creator you can't just you know take someone else's work and display it publicly yeah got it Okay, so now let's get into a bit of like 20 questions here. So you're, you're kind of in the hot seat on this, and there's not many podcasts that were like, we just need some clarity, you know? Yeah, and you guys um, didn't even warm me up with what the questions would be. It was just... Uh, no, we didn't. This <laughs> oh, is, that's this true. Is just, we could have sent you it. these ahead. This is truly <laughs> hot seat. Shooting from the hip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so one of the biggest challenges in the last few years, as you know, I'm sure you guys spent so much time on this, is streaming and the web and Facebook live. And, you know, there's so many different mediums online where we're displaying both lyrics and playing back services and, and re-recordings and things like that. So help us out here. We've heard all kinds of things like you're not allowed to put lyrics on Facebook. You, my songs are getting pulled off of YouTube. You know, there's lots of things happening there. So I, I don't even know the right question to ask about that. I know that's loaded with lots of different scenarios, but I'd say just go for it and talk a little bit about that and what, what our options are. Sure. So our streaming license, church streaming license has been around for, I think, 11 years now. We were 10 years into it before the pandemic. And the audience or the appetite for that license has just gone through the roof because everybody, uh, if they wanted to continue doing church services, they uh, they needed to stream them in the current environment. The streaming license allows churches to post their services, to take a, a live feed and, and post it, or to post for on-demand at a later time. 
post their services on their church website or third-party platforms. The publishers have signed on in our agreements that third-party platforms are allowed. And by that, we mean YouTube, Facebook. You could say Zoom is a third-party platform. Uh, But that is allowed in our agreements. The challenge for churches today is that Facebook and YouTube have their own terms of agreement. And the church is at the mercy of these platforms as to whether their content can live there uh, unhindered. And uh, you'll find that churches will, let's say they just perform a song. They perform a Hillsong worship song. That's never happened. That's never happened. (laughs) If they're playing it live, uh, YouTube and Facebook, they have algorithms that will identify the underlying composition. And there's the potential then that once that match is made, they'll notify uh, in YouTube's case that they've matched the composition and that they're going to basically direct any monetization towards the content owner. Uh, If a church is including audio files within their feed, it's even easier for them to do that match because all of these uh, audio files have fingerprints um, that can be matched. And uh, due to the current environment, more and more, and and with technology, with... uh, multi-tracks and stems being available and accompaniment tracks and the fact that more and more churches are posting their services online, uh, YouTube and Facebook are identifying matches where the entity that is broadcasting is not the owner of the underlying content. And in the YouTube case, many scenarios, the church has the option to either continue and allow the rightful copyright owner to have control of the earnings. And in today's environment, that can be multiple owners. In the Facebook scenario, I I think it's most likely that their audio feed is going to be muted because they don't monetize that activity. They're not a music streaming platform. So uh, in order for a church to have the best experience for their congregants, they want to post that service to their church website and then maybe link to it from social media and from other places and point to it, or at least have that as a backup, have that as the, uh, the always yeah. on sort of option because YouTube is in control of their sandbox and, and Facebook is in control of theirs. And if they choose to take this video down or to mute the audio, that's out of the church's control. And our terms of con- Terms of agreement for the streaming license do not override the terms of agreement for these third-party platforms. So that's really important to know. And for some people, that's going to be kind of a light bulb because you're not saying that their stream is not covered under their CCLI license because it is. It's just when they send it to a third party, their software license agreement is different than yours. And so Mm -hmm. that's where some of the confusion can be. That's really that's really helpful. We talked about lyrics. Um, due to the right that churches have, 
in the church copyright license, which covers reproductions of lyrics. With our streaming license, churches are able to include lyrics in that stream. Uh, it doesn't make any difference whether it's on their church website or Facebook or YouTube. They have the right to do that. Um, so just to remove that doubt or that question right. mark, including lyrics in the stream, it, it, it is a go and it doesn't matter which platform you're using. That's been a That's huge yeah, bit of confusion for people. And I don't, and I don't think it's anything that you guys have done. I think people just started going, well, I wonder if I can put the lyrics on Facebook. That's probably different. So thanks for clearing that up. What about for display in the room? So if we're not talking about streaming, because you know some people have said, well, you have to have the CCLI numbers and information and copyright information on every slide for every song. Some people say, well, we're going to do it at the very end. Some people say, well... We're covered if we just include copyright information on the screen at the end of the service. You know, so what are the best practices for how to identify, you know, that you're covered in your live environment? What we think works well is when you bring up that first slide, it's not too hard to have that bit of attribution, so to speak, that I would identify the title, the songwriters, and your CCLI license number. And then from there, whether it's online or in person, uh, the proper attribution is given and it's clear to those who are worshiping, ah, that's the name of this song or those are the writers. If we go into our terms of agreement, it just requires that the church does include that notice. It doesn't stipulate each slide or first slide or last slide. We just know from experience, there's many times you're in church and you're singing a song, huh, I don't recognize it. This is really cool. I wonder who wrote it. And uh, it's going to be helpful for those who are receiving that to just be able to see, okay, that's who it is. And then you move along. But um, it, it isn't cut and dry that it has to be first or last. We just ask that you do that. Got it. And is that requirement in your terms of service? based on something that U.S. law asked for in the copyright or something you guys think is helpful to the people receiving? It, it's not in the copyright law as far as I'm aware. It's written in our, in our agreements with publishers, and it's just been something that we've done from the get-go. It, it allows um, you know, for additional reproduction activity, uh, opportunities for the church to know where to go or the the, re- the recipient who's reading it. those lyrics. It's more of a resource for the recipient. That's good. There is, I, I haven't gotten into um, that requirement if there is for the copyright notice, because, you know, copyright law wouldn't require a CCLI license number, right? right? It would right, right. It would have been totally outside right, of that. Right. So there, there also could be this part where it talks about in the copyright law, the requirement for making reproductions. But the thing is, um, when you're making a reproduction as a church, that is something that um, the owner of the work has to grant you permission to do. And it will yeah. be under whatever their terms are. They'll say, you can make a copy of this. Um, just please do this. 
And I think that's how it started. The publishers said, we'd really like to at least include this information whenever copies are made. So you mentioned your streaming license. Is that a different license that a church pays for than their regular display in-person license? And what other kinds of licenses do you have that are available? Our main license would be the church copyright license, which covers reproduction, like we've been talking about. That is separate from our church streaming license that allows churches to, in essence, retransmit that live worship experience onto the internet, uh, serve it up for whether it's on demand or live, but also for podcasts. It originated as a podcast license. And today, podcasting is slightly different than it was back then, but alive and well. So podcasting is an option that's available with the church streaming license. Another license that we just launched in, uh, in January was what we call the Streaming Plus license, or it's kind of a bolt-on, and add-on to the church streaming license. Church streaming allows your band to perform the song live and then for you to retransmit that in a stream. Streaming Plus allows you to also include master recordings, master tracks, accompaniment tracks in that stream. So with today's uh, prevalence of of multi-tracks being used in worship services, publishers quickly realized that there was a gap in what was being licensed. You've got the composition on one side and the master recording that kind of hangs off of that underlying composition. Today, we were able to offer both sides. Okay, so if you're a church who is doing Passion, Hillsong, Tomlin, any of those cover songs for your live worship experience. It's it's one license to be able to basically cover the song. But if you're using tracks from multitracks.com or other mm-hmm. things from the master recording, then you must have the streaming plus license in order to be legit in terms of CCLI's user agreement. In order to stream those, if you're including okay, them in your gotcha. stream. Got it. Gotcha. If that's super helpful. Yeah, if you're just if your band is performing it and those master recordings and tracks aren't ending up in your stream that you're sending out to the world, you're covered. You're you're fine. You don't need a license to perform those master recordings and multi-tracks in a worship setting. But once you start But if they're streaming, if they're streaming. You need to have it. Yep. Then you would need streaming cool. plus. And what else? Yeah, we we have an additional License that's also been around for 10, well, 11 years, like the streaming license, and that's our rehearse license. That was uh, created in a time when church bands were ripping audio files and creating custom CDs to share with their bands to rehearse Uh the songs for the upcoming weekend services. After a while, that kind of morphed into sharing MP3 files, but the same concept. You're making copies of master recordings and sharing them with your band exclusively for rehearsal purposes. And that that license is still alive and well. Uh, with platforms like Planning Center, where bands will share MP3s or WAV files, whatever format, it covers that distribution, that copying and distribution 
of master recordings with your worship teams. One of the things that bands are doing today, though, is you don't have to share the MP3. You could create a, a playlist on Spotify or or point yeah. towards YouTube links, and that doesn't require licensing to share that information. But for those that are still distributing audio files with their worship teams for rehearsal purposes, the church rehearse license is an option. And then cool. one final license that we have available is our song select license, which it's a subscription service that allows churches to download lyrics, chord sheets, lead sheets, and vocal sheets from a very large repertoire of works uh, licensed from the publishers. And you can link that service with ProPresenter. You can, yep, you can link it with ProPresenter. You can link it with Planning Center so that the lyrics flow right through and the chord sheets flow through the worship teams. Uh, there's we have a lot of API partners that uh, that work with that data. Uh, so the great solution it it makes worship easy, or at least we hope. The all of that administrative part of uh, really making that worship service happen on on the weekend, Song Select helps to facilitate that. Okay, got it. And I don't know if this next question applies to CCLI or just copyright law that you may be able to speak to, but what about other resources played in the service? So, you know, you got walk-in music and Mm walk-out music. You could be playing the Jonas Brothers on walk-in, and then your pastor play a clip from the blind side during the sermon, and, (laughs) you know, maybe some National Geographic images on the screen. You know, what about those type of things? So, uh, there's, I mentioned earlier, I think the religious service exemption. The religious service exemption allows in the course of services or the course of religious services for churches to perform works and to display works. So if you interpret the start of service uh, as people are walking in, and the end of service as they're walking out as part of your service and you're performing works, AKA playing an audio file of the Jonas brothers, then that activity is covered under the religious service exemption. It doesn't differentiate between secular or sacred music. That's great. Those Jonas brothers are good Christian boys. We, we, <laughs> we want to support them. Yeah. They're going on a mission trip this summer. We want to make sure they get a good send off. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then similarly displaying of a work within the service, if uh, you know, playing that audio file, obviously that's going to be covered. Displaying a work is going to be covered in the, in the service. I haven't really gotten into the weeds of an image or something that they want to display because that's outside of Christian copyright licensing yeah. or the music side. But I always go back to, you know, what, what rights are protected and not protected uh, the right to display work in a religious service, that's that's exempt. You don't have to get licensing. So it really comes down to whether a replication or duplication was made of that image in order to display it. And then we're talking about you know, the rights for photography, which I, I don't know how sure. that licensing works. But that's my it. best Basic- guess in that scenario. But- Basically, pastors are crooks and they're going to jail. That's basically what you said. <laughs> Quote, Nate Scott. Just kidding. Um, oh, and then there's the similar types of 
um, exemptions for educational purposes. Yeah. We know things about fair use. You know, I've heard, I've read things about fair use that you can play a clip from the blind side as long as it's short enough that it would not exclude the viewer from going and purchasing it themselves. So mm-hmm. if it's a a 90 second clip of Sandra Bullock and and Philip Fulmer, because I love Philip Fulmer because he's a head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. He was in that movie. <laughs> um, and you use that sh- short clip to support the message that's considered fair use. If you played an hour of the movie in the service, that's a no-no. So it's kind of a, you have to use judgment there. That's what I've been told. And and one of the uh, things that one of my colleagues always says is that fair use is a defense that you can use as a church if there's an infringement. Got it. And you you can try to defend yourself saying, well, those 90 seconds, that, that was just fair use. Yeah. Um, it's not just a right that says you can, you could use 90 seconds. It's not written into the copyright law that way. It's, okay. it, it's a defense that can be used. But you brought to mind the fact that we do have uh, CVLI, which is the church video licensing company, which allows... Um, churches to to purchase a, a license for either uh, displaying or playing snippets from approved movies within their services for illustrations and those sort of things. Exactly what you described. And there's there's another license that would allow you to do like a movie night at the church. Okay, and it's from a select repertoire of movie movies where the the house that. I think the major, a lot of the major movie producers are on board now, but you'd have to go to CVLI to figure out which ones have signed on. But there's Got there's it. a large, large group of song uh, of movies that are available for churches to use. That's great, that license. and that's very cool for MXU. You know, we use a lot of tracks from churches in our educational pursuit. Mm-hmm. So I've I've talked to you know my friend Adrian at Integrity and said, hey, here's what we're doing. And because we have a relationship with the publisher, he says, oh, it's educational, proceed. But we're all the time wondering, like, are we going to get something pulled from YouTube or is what we're doing okay? So it's even something that Jeff and I are constantly asking ourselves Mm -hmm. and getting permission from writers of works that we're using and all kinds of things like that. So that's cool. Very interesting. Well, this this is super helpful. I think I think it's great. Is there a question that we should be asking you that we haven't yet? Oh, uh, yeah. There's there's a couple other licensing scenarios to to bring in. Um, CCLI has a a sister company that that we work with now uh, called Christian Copyright Solutions. They um, they also license into churches. Uh, they have a performance license that allows churches to play audio recordings or perform uh, songs when it's in the context of outside of the church service. So let's say you're doing a picnic, barbecue, graduation ceremony. Uh, You might have on-hold music within your church that doesn't have licensing for performance. A variety of 
all of our churches, you know, probably have activities that are happening where we're playing CDs or we're, we pull up Spotify and just start yeah. jamming out to something. And if that's not a service, so to speak, uh, that is a public performance of either an audio file or if it's a live performance, like a talent show, that does require additional licensing. And a church is viewed the same as a coffee shop or as a bar or arena. So there is a need to ensure that if you're playing sound recordings or performing music live outside of the church context, if you're not the owner of that work, that you consider getting a perform license. That's good. So it's similar to a restaurant that might have, you know, an ASCAP BMI license for their jukebox or the music that they play as background music. It's the same kind of thing, but for a church that's not tied to a church service. Yeah, exact same thing in the CCS's perform music facilities licenses, we call it. Um, it has the rights from ASCAP BMI and CSAC all aggregated together. There's 28 million songs that are covered under those agreements rather than the church having to go secure rights from ASCAP or BMI or CSAC individually. Wow. So, I mean, as, as much as people, I, I don't know, I, I like to think that people would pursue that and just go ahead and get the license rather than trying to defend why they shouldn't need a license because they're a church. Oh. Because the problem is if you get challenged or if, some publisher decides they want to make an example of you and you don't have a license, that's going to be a lot more expensive to defend mm -hmm. than it would have been to buy the license in the first place. Yep. So I think the part of the bottom line here is, okay, guys, do the right thing, protect yourselves, know your rights, but then pay for the licensing that you should because not only is it the right and legal thing to do, but it's a good way to set an example for the rest of your team. Absolutely. It's, it's property. Somebody owns that property. And uh, as believers, we, we agree not to steal, not to take from others. I mean, that's part <laughs> of what we believe. So um, yeah. it, it's easy to, to um, not question the activities that we're doing in church. And you don't realize that we're, we're actually taking something that somebody else owns and we're using it for our own purposes. So it's So let's talk for a minute about the other side of the equation. Yeah. What if I'm a church? What if I'm a church that's creating work that wants to know, okay, what are the best next steps for me to make sure that hey, if this song gets traction not only from my church and maybe our other campuses, but other churches want to start using our song like as as a person who's creating and publishing that work What's the best practices for me who doesn't know anything about this to figure out how to engage with CCLI or other publishing entities to make sure that I'm protected? Yeah, we've got, um, I think, six over 6,000 affiliates with CCLI now. Those would be songwriters or publishing companies that have a relationship with CCLI that are licensing their works to us. Um, when... Uh, let's just say a church comes to us and they've they've written songs uh, as a community and they'd like to get them into CCLI's database so that they can just share them with the world. We always encourage them to um, to invest in their works first, to work at um, getting sharing that song 
or those songs with other churches? Is your is your band going out and ministering in other places and, and figuring out whether there's an actual appetite for that song or whether it's it's picking up steam? Because we see many, many songwriters who register their works because it's a hit in their church, their specific church. And it's a bit of work to jump through the hoops to affiliate and register and, and do all the things that are required. And then um, if you're not investing in those works yourselves and, and, and getting them out shared broadly with the church, then um, you're not going to see a return on that effort. And um, that's just the best way to ensure, first off, to test whether a specific song has legs or whether it needs to be um, adjusted. If you're trying to just create something that expresses what's in your heart, but also has appeal. And then as churches begin requesting to copy your work or requesting lyrics, and you see, oh, this is starting to get some traction, then shoot us an email at CCLI, IP at CCLI.com and say, we're starting to get some traction here. We'd love to get our works registered with you so that churches can report their copy activity. We're happy to, to jump in and walk, whether it's an individual songwriter or a church through that process. It, as a songwriter, you can grant the right to copy your works directly to the church. Uh, so it, it's not an issue when it's your church. But uh, once it starts you know, branching out and you have, we, we say, five or more churches, then it, then it makes sense to start investigating getting them registered with CCLI. It is very hard to get five churches to do your songs. I. I can tell you from experience that is a harder thing than people think it is. Yep. And and I think one of the misconceptions is well churches find songs on CCLI. In reality there's a lot of hallelujahs registered in our system. Lots of holy holy holies, you name it. We have a, a kind of limited vocabulary that we use for song titles. With over 500,000 songs registered in our database, it's unlikely that a church is going to you know, stumble across your song and say, I want to give this a try. We find that they're discovering songs through radio, through the different streaming platforms. So if you want to get it out into churches, going and ministering and performing in other churches, that's a great way to do it. Also getting yeah. it onto different platforms so it can be distributed broadly. That's a great next step. Especially when, you know, churches have to scroll about 10 pages to get out of the Chris Tomlin section because oh, yeah. he's, uh, he's taken over <laughs> the first few hundred spots there. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, no, that's yeah. good. Um, where can people go to, I'm sure there are people are going to have more questions. Do you have resources to answer questions like the ones we've been asking? Yeah. I, our, Really, the, the jumping off point for anyone is going to be CCLI.com. We've got a section on copyright. You can find a, a link for songwriters and publishers to connect with our IP team. There's a great section on what we provide, and it breaks down into just the different activity types, the, the types of activities that are covered under specific licenses. So your best option if you have questions, whether it's on the licensing end or the publishing end, is just to go to ccli.com and begin to um, browse 
and uh, then there's there's options to chat with our team and other ways to connect with us if need be. Well, that's awesome. Well, man, thanks for doing this. Are yeah, you got another? I, you something else? Can I yeah. share one other thing? Yes. Um, one other license to share with you guys that could could be a source of confusion for churches or. Um, I think uh, it's just a consideration. I mentioned CCS, Christian Copyright Solutions. They also offer a streaming license. It's called the Worship Cast License. So we we spoke earlier about a misconception where you cannot include lyrics in your video for streaming. Worship Cast does not cover streaming of lyrics. So there are cases where if a church has a worship cast license, they have been told we are unable to include the lyrics just because uh, those rights for worship cast are granted by the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. They don't have the rights from these publishers for replication as CCLI does. One of the benefits of worship cast is that it covers that full repertoire that those three PROs cover. So if a church is using or wanting to include songs by Bob Dylan, James Taylor, the Beatles, maybe a Disney song from Frozen in their stream, they want to perform it because it's just for live performance of those songs. Worship Cast has the the leg up on the CSL because it's a larger repertoire. So it's just another consideration if a church is using a very wide repertoire of songs and they're performing all of them live, Worship Cast is something to consider. On the CCLI end, the streaming license covers 500,000 songs, but you have the option to add on Streaming Plus so that you can include master recordings. That isn't an option on the other end. So, Got it. A lot of detail, a lot of good options. I think yeah. sooner than later, we need uh, one license to rule them all. So whatever the <laughs> you're covered is, like that, that one should be an option too. Well, Nate, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's been great and super helpful. I know people are going to be um, well-informed, but maybe have other questions too. But I think that's good. It's always good to get kind of keep this dialogue fresh and give people clarity when we can. So we appreciate your time today. It's awesome. Great. It's been my pleasure. And if there's any follow-up questions, you know, send them my way and we'll ensure that churches have the answers that they need so that they can legally, you know, hold their services and whatever, whatever activities that they're doing, we want to support them in that. Awesome. It's awesome. All right. Well, well, that was great. I'm going to jail. Jay, you got that lawyer phone number? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At Bob Goff. Just just direct message him. I'm sure he'll answer. Okay, great. But all kidding aside, I think it is important to at least know what the legal requirements are. And if you guys have any questions about specifics, feel free to reach out to Nate or anybody on the CCLI team, because that's why they're there. They're there to provide protection for the authors of the content. And so it's only the right thing to do for us to support the people who are authoring the music that we use and the the other media that we use in our services and events so thanks to nate for all of his wisdom and information it was a great conversation it sure was 
All right, fellas. Well, I think that about wraps this up. So everybody, don't forget, go get those tour tickets. Beating a dead horse, but we warned you. Yep. Uh, Jay, on your way out of the Sky Club, can you uh, grab a uh, uh, cocktail for me? Yeah, man. What, what do you need? I was thinking a Negroni. Oh, man. This lady here, I don't know if I'd trust her for the equal one-ounce Campari, one-ounce sweet vermouth, one-ounce London dry gin. There's your <laughs> recipe for the day with a with an orange peel, fellas. Oh, uh, there you go. Well, maybe at least grab us a handful of Biscoff cookies and we'll call it a day. For the record, have you ever had Biscoff spread? No. Ooh. I didn't know they there was such a, a thing. They make a Biscoff spread. It will change your life. Is it like Nutella but Biscoff? Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I need to I find put this. Nutella and Biscoff on the same piece of bread. I don't eat peanut butter for the record. So don't okay, because I've put Nutella on my Biscoff cookies before. There you go. But I didn't know there was a, a spreadable version of Biscoff. I'd I'd be uh I'd be the Nutella to your Biscoff. Oh, ebony and ivory. I don't think it's quite ivory. <laughs> well, we're quite ebony. It's not quite ebony either. So it's <laughs> R- wrong podcast. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> uh, I'm just have a I'm great day, up. everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>